Welcome to Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel. Pushing the limits in music and thought is the topic of this edition of Radio Curious as we visit with Trimpen, a man who makes music from unusual instruments. He's the star of a documentary film about his life's work. Trimpen, who uses a single word for his name, received a MacArthur Genius Grant in 1997. He asserts he is trying to go beyond human physical limitations to play instruments in such a way that no matter how complex the composition or the timing, it can be pushed over the limits. The music, he says, starts with a sound in his head. He then transforms that notion for us to hear. The film, Trimpen, will be shown at the Mendocino Film Festival the first weekend of June 2012 in Mendocino, California. I spoke with Trimpen from his studio in Seattle, Washington on May 19, 2012, and asked him to comment on the characterization where he is described as a mad scientist, a magician, or possibly a tour guide. I don't see myself as a magician, but it's always in a certain reference. Like, I think the tour guide, I remember, came from David Harrington from the Kronos Quartet. He referred more or less as a tour guide going through uh, my studio, because in my studio there's different kind of uh, objects uh, hanging, suspended, different kind of instruments all over around, or not really instruments, but some some sound-making devices. And I guess that's where the tour guide is coming from, because I'm collecting uh, sounds, like found objects from all over. But I see myself more as a sound sculptor and uh, as an artist, as a, a musician, composer. And I'm combining all the different disciplines uh, using kinetics, using movement, uh, try to move the sound through space. So for this event, when you want to try to move the sound through space, you need certain kind of uh, kinetic elements, kinetic uh, components to make this happen. And the sound is always acoustical. So there's not like a loudspeaker set up, you know, uh, somewhere hidden who makes the sound. Although at the moment this is radio, and many of our listeners hopefully will have an opportunity to see the movie, Trimpen, that that bears your last name. While we're talking, can you describe objects, the machines that make the sounds and perhaps what some of those sounds sound like? Well, I'm using, like I said, natural uh, elements to uh, produce, to make sound, like, for example, air, which is the oldest medium to communicate, to make sound. And air is used in different ways to uh, get certain kind of, uh, let's say, strings in vibration or reeds in vibration, or uh, air could be used, warm air could be used, like in the fire organ, to create uh, an air column which moves through this tube system. And this tube looks like an, an organ pipe and makes a sound like an organ pipe. So, and that's how an organ pipe works, since uh, this kind of instruments 
go back thousands of years to make sound. So other instruments like percussion instruments, of course, they are have a mallet mechanism, a mechanical mallet mechanism, which uh, strikes different kind of uh, materials. It could be glass, it could be metal, it could be wood, it could be all kind of different or modern plastics or other instruments like um, they don't really look particular like a musical instrument, but they make the sound like uh, the sound comes from this particular uh, kinetic object, which, for example, hanging glass bars, like uh, cast glass bars, which about two feet long suspended and quite one inch in diameter and about two inch wide. So each one is tuned and a small kind of electromechanical mallet uh, mechanism is kind of uh, hitting the glass object. So it sounds like uh, a chime or using water, for example, water, um, very precise water wells are uh, mounted below the ceiling and and when you open up very shortly one water valve, the water drip falls down and hits an, an percussive object, like a, a drum head, which is stretched over a glass wall or uh, a other kind of an object. As soon as the water hits the, the drum skin, it makes a sound like somebody would actually be drumming. But the idea was to use like hundreds of water valves so it's basically raining, but the rain is perfectly synchronized. And this kind of synchronization sounds like a drum ensemble is playing, but it's just falling water. But at the same time, I can visualize this drum sequence by each drip, like a drip goes dum, da dum, da dum. This means one drip and then two drips together and then again one drip. So the whole rhythmic sequence you see for one second in the air falling down, and then suddenly uh, it hits one of the uh, hundred uh, objects in this trough where the water gets collected, and then it gets pumped up again. So here, water is just used uh, to make the sound. So the water um, forms this visual rhythmic, you see this visual rhythmic pattern. If I may, I'd, I'd like to ask you about the uh, visualization process for you personally. And I wonder if you could tell us the genesis of that, how these ideas come to you. Well, it always starts with the sound. Uh, the sound uh, part is kind of I want to create is, is, is in my head from maybe hearing it somewhere before and it, I got attracted. It sounded very interesting, quite different from you know the typical musical sound or instruments you would um, just think of. So then at the same time, when I uh, hear this kind of sound, it's not just listening to this. Like the sound comes from somewhere physically. The sound is somehow produced while you're watching. Uh, at the same time. Of course, air, you cannot see how air moves through the space, but you can see how this vibration or this kind of object moves the air through the space uh, to hit your ear. So the visual, the visual aspect for me is always almost the same important, like the sound and the oral aspect. 
and all of his uh, sculptural pieces, you can see with your eyes how the process is working. It's not like you have an iPhone in your pocket and, and earphones in your head. You don't know. Uh, nobody knows how this actually works. You cannot see inside an iPhone. But here, uh, in my installation, you are walking through the instrument. Like uh, this one particular installation, Kanlan in Purple, which has about uh, 60 uh, horns as resonators, and under the horns are uh, kind of trumpet-like horns. They are suspended horizontally, and under the uh, uh, pipes, and under the horns, are the wooden, um, wooden xylophone bars, and they all will be struck with a or will be activated with an electromechanical device. So when you walk through uh, this uh, installation, you're actually inside the instrument, but at the same time, you see how this mallet mechanism works, and you also know exactly where the sound is coming from. We can actually hear uh, in multiple dimensions where the sound uh, is coming from, from above or below or from the back. And... And that's also in each installation, I'm exploring what happened to our perception. Uh, when you walk through this instrument, for example, uh, these horns, they are on six different levels, like three above ear level and three below ear level. You're characterized as an inventor of sounds. No, I, I don't see myself as an inventor. Really, like I'm, I'm exploring. I'm, I'm uh, uh, working, of course, in this field. And a few things uh, I did very quite some time ago was later kind of commercialized. You know, in a way, I see it once in a while. And uh, but I don't really have time, and I don't want to make a business out of it. Or I don't. Uh, it's no reason. I, I don't think it's a reason. I don't have time to to. Uh, be a manufacturer or to patent certain things. So uh, that's the least I'm thinking about. And uh, it would, I looked once into it, but it was, there's a lot of administration involved and uh, it's, it was too much uh, to deal with, you know. So I rather just uh, think, and when somebody wants to do it, um, that's fine, you know, like they, they, they can do it. And, uh, and sometimes I'm actually uh, glad to see when somebody is uh, copying certain things. This means I just I, I did it not just for uh, myself or a certain kind of a period. Like especially the young people right now, they are very much interested in this direction. They call it the robotics. You know, like they want to uh, build this musical robots. And and what I'm doing, there, there is actually you know this. Uh, there are robotic instruments. Instruments, and I'm also being uh, uh, artist in residence at different uh, universities and colleges. So I am very uh, 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 pleased to see that this younger generation is now interesting in in uh, kind of going on with this direction. What I'd like to do is ask you about your childhood and the genesis of, of what moved you to make this your life's work. But first, I want to say that in this edition of Radio Curious, we're visiting with Trimpen. He's the star 
of a movie that bears his name. Trimpen goes by only one name, Trimpen. And the movie is called Trimpen, The Sound of Invention. You're listening to Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel. Uh, Trimpen, can we go back uh, however many years it would be to your childhood when you first were drawn um, to these ideas and the work that uh, you have done most of your life? Well, I remember, like, um, I was quite young. I was asking my father uh, to build a water wheel. He was living very close by a, a small uh, river, and uh, I was asking him to build a water wheel <coughs> to uh, hook up two uh, hammers with uh, some sardine cans, a, a, a bigger one and a small one, so... Uh, as soon as the water wheel was starting to uh, move from uh, power through the water, uh, the small kind of hammers would bang on these two different tones of sardine cans. And this made me uh, kind of uh, aware of it, that there was something going on, uh, not just acoustically, but also visually, like watching uh, how the hammers uh, was activating or uh, banging on the sardine cans, and also the water flow. When there was very slow-moving uh, water, there was a small rhythm going on, and the, when the water was going faster, suddenly there was an increase of rhythm. And suddenly I uh, was playing with this kind of, uh, kind of this musical toy, but uh, I, dreamed, I dreamed that there should be hundreds of these water wheels, of course, my father never was building these hundreds of water wheels, but this was kind of the beginning of thinking how to make this acoustical uh, movement happen. How old were you then? Probably 10 years old. And you were living then in uh, the Black Forest of Germany. That's right. Like It was, near, it was right on the Rhine River, uh, near the Black Forest, and that's where I grew up and lived there until I was 15 years old, and then... I moved away and went to school and, and studied then later in different cities. The movie that bears your name talks about the collective unconscious of how cuckoo clocks work, for example. Can you tell us about the collective unconscious of sound as it appears to you? Well, it, it's like uh, where I grew up is uh, kind of... Uh, uh, center of development, early development of mechanical music, mechanical musical instruments, also like the clock, like uh, the cuckoo clock, like uh, goes back uh, 500 years. And most of the restaurants, when we went out Sundays for a drink or whatever with my parents, we would go to a restaurant. And most of these restaurants had an automated uh, instrument uh, somehow built in. You had to insert 10 phoenix. It was almost like a tube box, but this tube box is, it was like uh, 200 years old. And I was always fascinated by watching this kind of movement. Like some of them had smaller kind of uh, instruments, some of them, uh, some bands, organs, like quite large bands, uh, organs where angels was conducting or hitting the cymbals. So it was always fascinating to watch. Within the visualization of sound, can you talk about the relationship of color to tone? 
or sounds in general? Well, reading, you know, like always being interested in, in, in perception of sound, uh, perception, in general perception. And uh, there are, you know, like uh, a lot of different theories, like uh, Goethe uh, was already, you know, like uh, quite uh, into the research, what, what happened uh, with, with um, uh, color and sound and senses. And uh, throughout uh, the history, there was a lot of different uh, theories, and some of them went, you know, so far, does the ratio of the wavelengths have something to do with the ratio of, of the uh, uh, lengths of the wave sounds, the waves of, of sound? And nothing really could ever be kind of uh, related to that sound and color had something in, in common. Uh, but in my work, I'm not, you know, looking for scientific uh, um, kind of proofs or or whatever. Sometimes I see, you know, certain kind of uh, colors or certain combination of colors uh, when when I'm hearing sound. But this could change uh, the next time when it's, you know, in a different environment, different daytime or sunlight or so. It's um, I use color sometimes more as a aesthetic uh, part in in the installation, and and not uh, particular because it has some kind of a relation to sound. So let's jump forward, if we may, to the current time. I understand that in the very near future, you have an opera that is opening. Can you tell us about your opera, its name, what it's about? Title is. The Gurs Cyclus, the Gurs Cycle. And Gurs is a name of an internment camp in France, in the French Pyrenees. There are numerous uh, was interned, I mean, numerous famous or known people uh, was interned. And one uh, person, first of all, it started in my home village in Germany where I grew up. Uh, the whole Jewish population was in one day uh, taken away. Uh, they was rounded up, put on a train, and sent to this um, internment camp. And that's where, where I learned as a kid when I was asking my parents what happened to this Jewish community. And I was always told they was sent to this place, girls, in the French Pyrenees. And, and that's, this was basically it. There was no other more explanation. And uh, throughout my lifetime, this name constantly came up, being reminded, like reading a book about uh, from the philosopher Hannah Aaron Arendt. She was interned in Gurs, or this painter Felix Nussbaum. He was uh, uh, interned in Gurs. And then when I was collaborating with Conlon Nencaro, he was start talking about uh, about Gurs and his internment uh, camps in France. And then later, through all these different coincidences, this, this name always came up. And even today and yesterday, uh, of course, throughout uh, this performance period, uh, people uh, have certain stories uh, and uh, and and they have stories about this place. So it's it's um, uh, it's with three vocalists and one baritone voice and a narrator, Rindy Eckert is the uh, uh, writer, uh, performer in the piece, narrator, and uh, director. And uh, there are three um, 
vocalists, and they basically are telling the stories about the different stories about this coincidences, what happened. It, what happened. It starts with an encaro, uh, goes into some other uh, people where I met throughout the last 10 years throughout these coincidences. So the fire organ is used, uh, different, uh, like water, the water is used because uh, all in this correspondence out of this camp, uh, mud and rain and water was always a big complaint. So it's actually, I'm, I'm using the liquid percussion like the water trippers to start, it rains on the stage, and, and uh, but then the rain again goes into a rhythmic pattern. And this rhythmic pattern is Conlon and Caro study number six, which will be then played by the piano, which is also on stage. And uh, so it goes through all these different periods. For example, the, uh, towards the end, I have other water uh, triple, which actually is spelling names of the victims from Gurus with water falling down. So you can actually read uh, letters uh, and form the name just using water. So in the whole piece, there's only natural elements used, again, like wind, air, uh, fire, water. And with these elements, uh, the whole soundscape was uh, developed just using acoustical instruments. I'd like to change the topic and ask you about the MacArthur Genius Grant that you uh, were awarded. Uh, how was that, and what were you able to do with the money? Well, of course, it was a great, uh, uh, incredible surprise because I had some friends. Uh, I knew some people like Conlon and Carol. He got the MacArthur uh, Fellowship, and uh, or Meredith Monk, which I knew since a long time. Uh, she uh, got this award, so I was kind of familiar what what it was. So when I got the phone call, it was of course a complete. Uh, surprise and uh, and this was uh, of course now it's that's 15 years ago and uh, when I got the phone call and you basically get like a five year uh, stipend uh, it was every year I got like fifty two thousand uh, dollars for five year long so and this freed me up completely I didn't have to apply for any grants I didn't have to apply you know for other kind of subsidy to do my work and uh, and in this five years, I, I was, I could work without being kind of worried about how you pay your bills the end of the month or the, how you, what kind of income would you have in the next few months. So this was incredible financial uh, help, and of course I got immediately phone calls from people and and saying, "Wow, you are no rich, you know, like what are you doing with all this money?" And as well, you know, it's my salary. It's fifty-three thousand dollars a year, and uh, and that's I never had so much money per year. So I'm I'm rich in a way, but uh, there's probably nothing left to invest. I will invest in my uh, work and in in the instruments, and and this was great because for five years I really could work the way uh, an artist should uh, supposed to be working without having constantly to worry about how to uh, make your ends meet. How are the people who are awarded the grant selected? That's all secret. I don't know. Like, uh, that's completely um, anonymous. 
So I never, I never, I never knew. They don't talk about it. They just give you a phone call and say, congratulations, you will get a check in the mail soon, and you are a MacArthur Fellow. Wow. So there's no strings attached, nothing. You could go for five years on vacation. Of course, I was planning to do vacations, but in these five years, I never took vacations because I, I, I was rather working. Well, Trimpen, um, thank you very much for being with us on Radio Curious. And before we close, I'd like to ask a couple more questions about you. And that is, um, do you recall an aha or eureka moment in your life where you learned a concept or a philosophy that changed your life, perhaps that you still live by? Yeah, I think there was probably several, but the earliest I remember, which I just explained, you know, with this water wheel, this was probably the first one which uh, I start to think there's something else going on, you know. Also, like being a boy, uh, there's this big bonfires going on. We had to build uh, once a year. Uh, and just listening to the sounds coming out of this fire, uh, this was kind of... Um, amazing event, acoustical event, and this, you know, was leading later to build the fire organ. So there's numerous kind of these uh, moments where I was, you know, constantly struck by, wow, I want to investigate this more, and there's way more uh, to think and do about. What would you like to do with the remainder of your One Precious Life? Well, I knew from the beginning that uh, this kind of work is a lifetime uh, exploration. It's a lifetime uh, uh, challenge to to go, you know, from one to the next, and and each project, each uh, idea leads into the next uh, uh, part of 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 this pro- process, and 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 that's uh, what I knew. Uh, there's still whatever I have left in my lifetime. There's so much to do. I probably never can even accomplish because there's not enough time left. It's like every day, you know, like I know there's way more work uh, than I can uh, accomplish in in this 24 hours a day. Can you share with us uh, how old you are? I'm I'm 60 years old, and uh, I feel still like I'm 30 or whatever, you know, like I, I still have my work habit, you know, it's like uh, 10, 11, 12 hours a day. And, uh, and I, feel, I feel always great. Like it's always great to wake up in the morning because there's always uh, a new challenge, a new, uh, a new day coming to, to explore and, 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 and to think and, and, and to accomplish this. And finally, is there a book that you could recommend to our listeners? Well, I gave up reading uh, quite some time ago because I rather, I replaced it with thinking. I rather think than read. Of course, I still have to do a lot of reading in terms of uh, research and, and uh, when you work on, on, a, on a piece, on a new development. But uh, I rather spend time thinking and, uh, instead of reading. Well, Trimpen, thank you very much for being with us on Radio Curious. I, I thank you for having me on, on your radio station, and it was a pleasure to talk to you. Trimpen is a music maker who lives in Seattle, Washington, a recipient of a MacArthur Genius Grant in 1997. He uses a single name and is a star of the film 
Trimpen, which will be shown at the Mendocino Film Festival the first weekend of June 2012 in Mendocino, California. Rather than recommending a book, Trimpen said that he gave up reading some time ago and replaced it with thinking. He'd rather think than read, he told us. Over 400 Radio Curious programs may be found on our website, radiocurious.org. They're free as my gift to you. I hope you enjoy them. Our address is 280 North Oak Street, Ukiah, U-K-I-A-H, California, 95482. The phone is 707-462-6541, and email is curious at radiocurious.org. Christina Onestead is our assistant producer. I'm host and producer Barry Vogel. Thank you for listening. <laughs>